Hello and welcome to the Non-Essential Workers Podcast. I'm your host, Marlena, and today I'll be speaking with my dear friends, Kendra Katani and Julian Altman. I'm really looking forward to speaking with them, and I hope you enjoy listening. Some of the topics we discussed today are playing in a duo with your significant other, life during lockdown, their upcoming charity benefit concert, pole dancing, and rats. Please enjoy. Let's just have you guys introduce yourselves the way sure. you would like to. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I'm Kendra, and I've been playing the cello since I was four. Music is a big part of my family. Um, my mom's a cello teacher. My grandmother's a piano teacher. My uncle is a bassist in the Toronto Symphony. So my path was decided for me, um, but I love it, and I'm happy with what I chose. Went to McGill for my undergrad and my master's. Uh, and now I'm trying to make a life as a musician in Toronto. Uh, I do sub with the orchestras that you've mentioned, and uh, now I'm teaching. Sometimes I do gigging, but with everything going on, it doesn't happen as much. Um, and then also thanks to my relation with Julian, I record for artists outside of this room. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so I'm Julian, Julian Altman. Um, I'm a violist currently in Toronto, living with Kendra. Um, I grew up in California. My music life was not predetermined. None of my family members are particularly musically inclined. Um, but yeah, I fell in love with the piano at a very early age and started composing and then picked up the violin when I was around 10 and switched to the viola in high school when I joined the San Francisco Symphony Youth uh, Orchestra. Uh, and toured Europe with them, um, and after that I never went back. I, I just became a violist. I loved the instrument. Then I went to UCLA and studied with uh, Richard O'Neill, um, and after that moved to Canada, uh, Montreal, where I met Kendra at McGill, and now I'm a student at uh, the Glenn Gould School in Toronto. I, I also record um, and arrange music for artists uh, in LA, mostly through my friend uh, Emmett Fenn, who I met in LA. Um, but yeah, we're just trying to make it work in Toronto. Um, it's been a challenge, but uh, we're still here. <laughs> awesome. I love how you guys introduced yourself. That was, that was great. Yeah, so you're both, I mean, you're both doing the freelance thing, which is like, I've been thinking, I mean, that's what I would be doing if I didn't have this job. And Damn, it must be really hard right now. Yeah, I mean, that's why I went and got the vet job. Before COVID hit, I was literally, I remember a couple weeks before, because I'd been bouncing around with all of my sub sub uh, gigs, because um, I was doing, I did Kitchener, and then I had to go straight to Thunder Bay, and then I came back into Kitchener again, and then I also played with the Mandel Philharmonic in Toronto, and then I was supposed to play with the TSO and I was just not able to fit my part-time jobs in anymore. And so I was like, oh my goodness, am I going to make this transition to where I can finally drop these part-time jobs that have been kind of just like a just-in-case sort of situation? And then COVID hit and I was like, oh, well, guess not. <laughs> guess this is now my main source of income. Mm. Um, 
So I'm, I'm not entirely a freelance artist now in the sense of that's my main source of income. I used mm-hmm. to be, but now I do have those side jobs. And then mm-hmm. Julian is still in school, so not completely freelance, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember how disheartening it was um, at the very beginning because you had gotten so much traction. Like, we moved to Toronto in September, and the first couple of months were rough. We didn't have any freelance work, basically. And then, I mean, you were looking for students for a really long time. You finally have some students now. Um, but... Yeah, you started really like getting a lot of gigs, getting called for a lot of stuff. And as soon as you started feeling comfortable with that, it just got, you know, the rug was swept under your feet. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, was because you, you need this like momentum, right? When you're building, especially when you first move to a new city, you're making at least at least six months that you're, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. It was six months of like working really hard to find work. And then she got it. And then it just disappeared. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, when when things start going back to normal in like a year or so, maybe less, <laughs> those, those connections will still be there, um, but it, it'll still feel like you're starting over again. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. My concern is that the arts programs are just going to take such a financial hit that they're not going to be able to hire out sublist musicians right away when COVID comes back. But I am looking forward to doing auditions again. I miss having that like it was I was literally doing like one every month. I did one every month for starting in what, November? Yeah. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's gonna be like a flood of positions opening after this? Or do you think it's kinda gonna trickle? I don't think so. I don't know. I I feel like maybe because I mean, I, so many orchestras have lost so much money. But at the same time, I feel like maybe there's people that were thinking about going in retirement in maybe the next five years. But then mm. with COVID happening, they were like, oh, might as well just start now. So maybe there will be that situation. Yeah. True. So I don't know. It's hard to say. So, yeah, any over 65s that may be listening to this, it's maybe now's the time to... <laughs> <laughs> The next gen is is waiting in line <laughs> eagerly. Oh man. What's GGS like now with with everything going on? It's uh it's a lot better than I expected actually. Mm-hmm. Um when when the lockdown first started in in March, um the rest of the year was all over Zoom and that was that was hard cuz I didn't get to play with anybody besides Kendra. Uh, for months and months, which you know is which is the case for most people, um, but this year they they were actually allowed um, to permit students to come into school and have private lessons, and we even did uh, we even did an RCO concert, an orchestra concert, uh, with fifty donors in the hall. We performed uh, Mozart's Hafner Symphony um, and uh, Beethoven's Emperor Concerto, Piano Concerto, oh, nice. um, with uh, Jonathan Crow. Uh, Joe Johnson and a few other members of the TSO. So that was really, really fun experience without a conductor. So Jonathan Crow was leading from the oh wow, uh, which is not something. It's not something I've had a lot of experience with, like playing in a large group without a conductor. Mm-hmm. Um, so having him lead and he he did an excellent job, and just like having all those people, all my friends on the stage with me, um, and I mean we were distanced, but Kerner Hall is. 
like such a nice hall that we were still really able to hear each other and mm-hmm. and like perform pretty a pretty convincing performance I think so yeah we're really grateful for that um, classes are all online lessons are in person with Steve um, and uh, yeah so far it's been it's been actually a pretty rewarding experience um, I. I had my doubts going in. I, I wasn't sure I was going to do this second year of my artist diploma um, just because of of the, the pandemic and like not knowing how the school year would pan out. Um, mm. But they did a really good job of making it safe and still pretty productive. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm glad I stuck with it. I recently had a, a lesson with uh, Mr. Dan. Oh, yeah? Really? Over, uh, over uh, Zoom. Really? Yeah. When was that? Uh, this was a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. Did you yeah. tell him that you he know, you know us? I no, I don't think we've ever that's ever come up. Yeah. Have you had a lesson with him before? Was that your first one? No, I've had a couple with him. Actually, I was <laughs> when I was uh, uh, last year when I got this job. I I had just graduated, and I was my options were either go to GGS to study with. Um, uh, Steve, Dan, or uh, take this job, and he he actually like helped me figure out um, what to do. But uh, it was a tough call because I, you know, he's so great, and that great. school that school is amazing. He's very wise. He's good at giving advice. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Yeah, I was telling him too. He we had a lesson in back uh, in February. Seems like a different life now. Yeah, he um, he had the big iPad, right? And he, I brought in like a Lamentations of Jeremiah, which is the this. Do you know it? I know it, yeah. Yeah, and and it, you know the the music is like this big, and uh, so I brought it in, and it could barely fit on the stand, and it was like flopping all over the place, and he was just like. You gotta get an iPad. <laughs> he said that everybody. Yeah, he loves his. <laughs> and, and at the time, I was like, "Oh, I can't afford an iPad." But he was showing me all the features, and and then uh, and then later, you know, I did end up getting an iPad, and now I perform on the iPad. And um, so this this past lesson, I said, "I guess what? I got an iPad." Because <laughs> of you. <laughs> did you get the pencil though? Oh yeah, you need the pencil. <laughs> get the pencil. I have the pencil. Yeah. You know, the first performances were so rewarding because it was like, like I almost cried on stage, not on stage, but like, out, like, you know, backstage because, um, yeah, it was just so amazing to be back. And you could really feel like the the energy from the audience was really amazing. Like you could feel that they were really, really grateful. So I think everyone was really disappointed to go back to. I definitely think that the... The audience will be more there after COVID, for sure. I've, I've already noticed just in general, whenever I play for people during COVID, is that they're like, oh my God, I miss li- I didn't realize how much I miss life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the appreciation will definitely go up. Yeah. Hopefully more... More uh, attendance as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it took to uh, get people yeah. to appreciate just a global pandemic. Simple fix, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I saw you did a, um, Kendra, you did like a, was that a wedding or you were, you were masked and you had... I've done a few weddings, actually. They all ended up being outside. Um, we did. We did one inside. Yeah. Oh, wait. 
Oh yeah, we did one inside and it was kind of, it was when, back when we were like stage three. So when the, it was kind of like after the big wave and we'd gone down. Um, so we did do one inside and we kept our masks on the whole time and it was like less than 20 people. And then we moved to play outside as well. Um, and then besides that, all of them have been outside, which I've never had to add a clause to my freelancing contract that says that I can't play outside in below 15 degrees Celsius. Yeah. It's never come up before, <laughs> but now I'm learning that I need to add that to my contract because obviously our instruments don't really function when it's cold outside. Also my hands don't really function. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, there was one that I did when it was eight degrees outside and they had a space heater, but honestly, if it had been longer than an hour, I don't think it would have lasted because my hands were starting to get very cold. Mm. But some of the weddings you did ended up being like really cute, quirky, like intimate yeah. things. There was one I did, uh, it was like in the beaches park in Toronto, and they didn't. Kew Gardens? I, I, I don't remember. I, they just were like, it's the beaches park, and then I had to go to a specific parking lot and then like walk, and they just put, dropped a pin at this like one beach area in the park and they didn't even like rent part of the park it was literally just like 10 people who showed up and they like hung a wreath on this um lifeguard chair and just had me like sit and it was just yeah it was cute you also did a few like in people's backyards Mm -hmm. with just like four people yep that was the one with the heater. It was the this couple who had been together for 40 years, but they never got married. And so mm-hmm. their daughter and their son like threw them a wedding just in their backyard. And so they were in like the screened in porch area and I was outside. Okay, that's outside. the one I think I saw the picture yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. Is it just me or are more people getting married this year? <laughs> Or are they just advertising themselves more? I don't know. I had a lot of weddings rescheduled to next year. Imagine like spending two years planning your wedding and then having to like move it an entire year. Yeah. Or some people that are, you know, going ahead with it and like then they don't get to honeymoon and they just have to sit in their apartments. Like call me crazy, but can't you just wait another year? Like why are why are we rushing this? They have like well, 10 some people. people put deposits down and stuff. Yeah, oh, I mean, I'm flexible. I'm like, yeah, your deposit can carry forward another year. Like it's fine. But I guess some business probably aren't. Probably not. Yeah. When the lockdown started in March, um Kendra was the only person I could play with right? Because we Mm -hmm. live together. And so we basically took it upon ourselves to learn every major viola cello duet. Um, So I think we learned about five or six of them um, over the rest of my semester. So Steve coached us on a lot of them. Um, And that was... That was fun. Those I mean, weekly lessons were like my highlight for yeah, several months. Yeah, it was months. pretty much the only thing we did. <laughs> we I'm... did do like a backyard concert. Oh yeah. That we um. That was fun. We organized ourselves in a friend's backyard. Oh, that's fun. Some friends and people gave us some very generous donations, um, and that was that was really fun. It was a backyard performance. It was like perfect weather out. Um, mm-hmm. We got to play what we wanted, you know, like the duet, mu- duet music we love. We did some solo pieces as well. And then we drank a bunch afterwards. And yeah. 
And it was it was like a couple weeks before the weather just turned impossible to play outside in. So it was kind of like we knew it was going to be the last time that we could really perform for a group of people mm-hmm. until the spring or until COVID kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. I have played in a duo with um, a couple uh, significant others to very varying stages of success. Um, are you, do you guys like, do you fight like in rehearsals? Like, is it, it, are there challenges because you guys are so intimately connected and then you're trying to do this work? All anyone sees is, you know, the finished product that's very polished and put together. And a lot of people who aren't musicians probably don't know what the rehearsal process looks like anyways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's different for everybody. Um, Even between the two of us, we, I think we have different ideas of what needs to be rehearsed or like priorities in rehearsals. We, we always manage to resolve it. Um, Yeah. That's kind of the, the goal is always to resolve it. Cause the other thing, yeah, it can, it can kind of, it can end the rehearsal sometimes. It can, (laughs) it can bleed into, right? Because, you know, if there's like a conflict or a difference of opinion that gets heated and then... Yeah, you don't just leave rehearsal. You just go in the other room and you eat dinner together. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So when we were doing it for Julian for school, when we were kind of having our regular lessons with Steve, um, that was kind of the first time that we were ever playing together intensively. No, in France. Well, yeah, that was two years ago. Okay, yeah, recently. So recently intensively. (laughs) And just kind of going hand in hand with like, this is the only person you're seeing for three months. It did start to get a little rough. Um, We're very different uh, in the way that we learn music. I'm very um, organized and just kind of, uh, I'm kind of a drill sergeant for myself and whoever I rehearse with. And I'm, I can be very intense and I know that about myself and Julian's very laid back um, in, I don't know, just in life in general, he's a very chill person. Um, so sometimes when I want something to be perfect and he thinks it's okay, then that's kind of where it's it starts to be the issue. Um, so yeah, we ended up taking a break from playing together. We kind of stopped in August and like... Well, when school stopped, we basically stopped playing yeah. together. Because For... we didn't have lessons anymore. There's no performances in sight. So yeah, part of it was because it, it was getting difficult, but also because, you know, we had nothing to work for. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, she's right. Like, uh, she holds herself to a very high standard, you know, when she practices, when she performs. Um, definitely perfectionist. Something to strive for, really. Something that, like, I don't, I don't have the work ethic to, like... I mean, to some degree, I have to try to make things perfect. But I think the way I, I would prefer to rehearse is... Um, like thinking of the broader musical gestures um, and getting those in place. And sometimes that will um, resolve some of the minute details. 
Um, but the way Kendra wants to rehearse is she wants to work on the details first. Mm. Um, and she wants to like get every little thing perfectly together, everything perfectly in tune, and then work on the broader picture. Um, but I, I really like starting with the global um, like image of the piece and like the phrases, and then like then try to get everything together, um, and probably in less detail. <laughs> Um, Interesting. But, yeah, I, I, I feel like I relate more to your way, but also have a mixture of the two because I think it oh. makes sense to start with a global um, idea and then then zoom in. But then you also have to be able to zoom out, right, to see. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But there's merits to both ways and you should you should be able to do both, you know. Um, but I think what we struggled with the most was whenever we had to like work on something like intonation um because you know, she just took is... she just took like a big breath when you said <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> intonation and what i was gonna say is just accepting criticism from each other not taking it personally and understanding it's so hard yeah. yeah it's that's probably the biggest thing just because we when we're we're all musicians and we've we've worked so long in our on our art and then it becomes a part of who we are and we take we take it personally and it's hard not to take it personally um but we've yeah. i think we've come far we've gotten a lot better we have um like the we, recent rounds yeah we've done a lot better yeah yeah i think i mean as musicians you have to have strong opinions you know in the way you play something Otherwise, what you play doesn't have any character. Um, and so we're, all, I mean, musicians butt heads all the time um, when they don't agree on style or articulation or something like that, because there's so many ways to interpret something. And when you disagree with somebody, it's, it's hard not to take it personally. It's hard not to be insecure about your own ability your own ideas um like validation is is really important um so i i think you just have to listen to each other agree to try everything anybody suggests um and not take anything personally it's easier said than done but after two years i think we're getting there yeah <laughs> We've been together for three years. We've been playing yeah. together for off and on for two years. Mm, okay. Yeah, well, that's awesome. As you guys see progress, that's great. I think, like, there's so many things, like, wrapped up in what you said. Like, yeah, this sort of, like, I, I, identifying your personhood and your worth with your work, right? With your with your ability to play and your, your, your we're so connected to... Uh, our judgment being, you know, like holding that close. And and if someone questions that, especially someone we're close to, that can feel very threatening. It You just have to realize that it's not, you know, you're both working towards the same goal of... Yeah, we're on the same team. Yeah, <laughs> you're just you're trying to perform together, you know. You have to let go of... Um, when you play in a duo, you have to let go of some of your, um, not your identity, but like you have to make compromises. Yes. Like you can't be right every single time. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> as much as that would be amazing, it's not possible. Mm 
Um, it's just learning to work as a team. Honestly, I think it gets easier when the group gets larger mm. um, because it becomes less personal. Um, you're obviously not living with your quartet, for example. <laughs> um, so there is that distance. Um, and there's more of like, there's a majority that can form, you know, in a duo, there's no majority. There's <laughs> yes, always one point. V one. It's never like three V one or mm -hmm. like. With musical opinions, you mean? Yes. Yeah. 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 You can also kind of phrase things. I find in a group that leaves things kind of nebulous as to who you're talking about. You know, you yes. can kind of be like, let's, we should I think, try to. yeah, we should try. I suppose you could do that in a duo, but. It's more obvious that you're trying to implicate <laughs> the other, right? Yeah, whenever you say we, she always I, I do that you. all the time. I do that. I try to say we, and I try to say it in a nice way, and he calls me out on it. He's like, I know you're talking about me. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so, it's so delicate, like how the tone of voice, how we phrase things. Um, it really it really matters because someone can say something that's helpful and needed in a way that's um, constructive or they can say it in a way that really puts someone on edge or like makes them have their back against the wall and get defensive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do you find that in your past relationship duos, you've found the same problems? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, God. <laughs> oh, you, you guys are not alone. I think it's like amazing what you're doing. And I think um, everybody who's in a duo with somebody that they're involved with, um, and especially if they're living together, like I think it's really, it can be really challenging. And you ha there's, there's so many boundaries. I think that people who are really successful at it probably have very good boundaries. They probably feel like, you know, this is rehearsal time and this is our professional way of talking to each other. And then the rehearsal's done and we, we have that separation and we go back to being in love and in our relationship. And that's a different dynamic, right? Yeah. Because um, you can accept a certain amount of criticism in a professional context and hopefully not take it personally, but it, you know, getting that same criticism elsewhere might feel different. Thinking about it now, I do know a lot of like married duo partners, like like a lot of my teachers um, mm -hmm. have been like married to each other, um, and like your teacher Liz and Guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of musicians marry musicians, so you 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 end up playing with your partner in a lot of situations, um, but not always in a duet. Uh, yeah, configuration. Um, but and some some. Couples I know don't play together. Yeah. And there's a reason. They're yeah. like, we're not going to play together. Like, we tried it, not happening again. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like you don't want either extreme, right? You don't want to be like, we need to play together because we're in a couple. But you also don't want, I wouldn't want someone being like, I could never play with you because, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you want a nice balance. Like, I think the most fun we've had playing together is probably when we fool around at, like, weddings or something where yeah. we're just like playing pop music yeah pressure is pretty low we're just having a good time playing you know fun easy music um like we still really enjoy performing like our classical duos but we're, we're definitely ha having more fun together when we're just like jamming 
Yeah. 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 Because there's almost, you're less connected emotionally to it in a way. It's not something you've like practiced for several hours. Yeah. And then you don't have, you don't have the baggage of multiple rehearsals weighing (laughs) on you. (laughs) Yeah. I think too, I, I, I sometimes think like with our intimate partners or with um, sometimes with friends, close friends or family is a big one. Um, we're not, we forget to be like polite. You know what I mean? Like, I really mean that like we're kind sometimes, but like actually like considerate and polite in the way that you would treat a colleague that you don't know as well. Right. Like you wouldn't say you're doing it again to, (laughs) you know, to someone you don't know, you'd, you'd, you'd put in that extra thought and effort. Usually most people would. When you're, when you're so close, you can have that honesty and you can a lot that way because, you know, Kendra might point something out to me. Like every time you play a fourth finger, it's flat. Every time you play a second finger, it's sharp. But this imitation of me. <laughs> every time you do this. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so having that honesty is actually a really, if you can harness it and not abuse it, it's like a really, really important tool to have. Because when you play for colleagues, sometimes, like you said, they'll be super polite to you and they won't actually tell you what they mean. Mm. Um, but then you can have like a nice professional relationship. Um, so there's like, there's two sides to that, I think. Well, again, I think it's about striking a balance, like giving and receiving feedback and dismantling our defensive reactionary bullshit and just um, being able to receive criticism in a way that's going to help us and also be able to give feedback to someone in a way that's specific and caring and um, productive. Yeah. If you can't take criticism and it brings you to a point where you just shut down and can't play, then you just can't have a career in music. And I'm sure we've all played with people like that. (laughs) Do you think that's more more likely to happen, though, if you are in an intimate relationship with the person? Because you feel like you can't get away. I don't know. You can't get away with something like that in a professional context. But if you're in this dynamic with someone... um, like, does that make it easier to sort of get away with bad behavior? In a, in a way, but in the end, you know, you live with this person. Like, if your relationship's going to last, you have to learn how to communicate. <laughs> um, and we've definitely gotten better at it over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for your mental health, but also for your career. If you can't work with people in a productive, constructive way, you're not going to get hired again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's such an essential life skill, not only for music, for anything to like be able to, to communicate well and listen well and, you know, not get defensive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, communication and proper communication is at the top of the list, I think, for compatibility. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so how was, how was lockdown? Okay, I'll preface this by saying... I had a conversation with my therapist and she said, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people with relationship struggles, divorces, separations, breakups, or just massive communication fails um, (laughs) during this time. And she described it as kind of like the lockdown was either causing issues, perpetuating pre-existing issues, or it acted as some kind of a pressure cooker 
over existing problems and people are just going nuts. Like they're just going crazy. They're going stir crazy with their partners. Um, so I, the fact that you guys are still together, playing together and getting along, that says something. I mean, we just kind of made activities together. Julian was good at, I mean, I would get really depressed sometimes just like we talked about before, um, that I'd been kind of on this like climb of just working really hard, practicing six hours a day, doing all these auditions while also having jobs while also whatever. Um, so when COVID happened at first I had like this small sense of relief of like, Oh my God, I can take a break. But then after two weeks realizing that this break was going to last for like over a year, I just got really, really depressed. So I was getting really down and just feeling super depressed and like I wasn't going to have a career. And so Julian was really good at kind of making activities for us to go do. And so we'd go out and he'd be like, let's go play soccer. Let's go play Frisbee. Let's just go for a walk. Um, yeah, we do. And things like that. In the months before COVID, we were both traveling a lot. Yeah, we didn't really get a lot of time together. Yeah, she was she was off doing gigs, you know, every week. Um, so we, we actually didn't spend a lot of time together in, like, January, February. Um, even, for like, weeks at a time, she'd be gone or I'd be gone. Um, so when COVID hit, like, we we actually had time together in, a, in the first time in a long time. And we... Really enjoyed that for a while. I mean, we obviously struggled. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, you know, a couple months. And then we, we struggled with the, the length of, of just being, you know, alone together. Um, but in the end, I think we, it made us closer. Yeah. Mm, that's the goal. That's awesome. Yeah. I also had, like, little mini projects. I like started doing doing the whole Instagram um, promotion thing, and then Julian got us some work with um, recording. So I don't know. We we kept busy, had our own projects, played a lot of video games. A lot of video games. A lot of video games. <laughs> what do you guys play? I don't know any video games. So I was obsessed with Animal Crossing. Um, I played it. Every day. <laughs> so he's, right now, your 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 partner is shaking his head and going. <laughs> I just I don't understand. I didn't understand the draw. Like she okay. she would play the game for hours, like every day for months. Wow. I just didn't. But I mean, I I do the same with different games, so I, I really shouldn't judge. But he like, likes FIFA a lot. Yeah, the soccer game. And like, what was, what was food? Did you guys cook a lot or? Yeah. We signed up for every meal subscription service possible and used all of their like free trials and then eventually settled on good food. Um, and we really like it. We still use it pretty much every week. And... Yeah. We get like three, three meals a week, but for the first like two months of, uh, COVID, we used free coupons like every week. So we'd just get a free box of food from one service and then we'd sign up again on the same service under a different name. That's genius. And yeah, you should do it. Like we got like literally dozens like of meals six free. Weeks, six weeks of free food. Just free. <laughs> 
why didn't I do this? I was spending like <laughs> We'll send you the coupons. We have coupons, we'll yeah. send it to you. I was spending like more money yeah. during COVID on groceries and food. It seemed like because also groceries were such a big excursion. Like yeah. they it was it was like this is the event of yeah. the day. And like at the beginning, you know, I was like washing my food afterwards too, right? Like washing all the packages. And um so it seemed like, oh, I need groceries again. Like, didn't I just go? And it was like this constant like coma of buying groceries and food. And it was just like, where does it all go? I don't know. But, <laughs> um, so Julian, you, uh, I found out something I didn't know, which is that you also compose and you arrange and you work with non-classical artists do you want to talk a bit about that and what you do? Sure. I built this relationship with my friend Emmett, um, who's a producer, songwriter, um, pretty successful. Um, he does a lot of advertisements um, and a lot of really cool projects himself. Um, and basically, just through this this one guy, um, I've, I've built kind of a network um, of other producers, uh, videographers, songwriters um and i have i use this mic and another one um and my laptop to basically somebody will send me a pop song unfinished pop song um that needs some padding in the chorus or maybe like a, a counter melody line um to the vocals or maybe they want like a cello line um for the bass um and i'll arrange it and record it and probably go back and forth with the producer a couple times. Um, and yeah, so I, I've been able to work from home because of that. Um, Last year we recorded for Michael Bolton in our basement. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, for, for pop music, like the strings are often not the focal point. They're just like kind of filler um, so they don't need to be like, I don't need to go rent a studio for $2,000 a day with like $3,000 mics. I have a $100 mic and I, I know how to use it. I know where to place it. I know how to use the software. And with that, I'm able to record like pretty decent strings, all just like from this room. And... Uh, yeah, it's like basically the only source of income I, I had for a long time during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm glad I was already set up for it. Um, but the uh, the music industry in the pop world kept going. Like concerts stopped, but people kept churning out albums. You know, like the demand for strings didn't diminish. It actually probably increased a bit because people, uh, people can record from home. It's mm -hmm. a little viable way of, of making an album or any kind of song, really. Um, and then I also wrote a song for um, a video that the Seattle uh, dance company, contemporary dance company, did. Um, they made this beautiful 15-minute video. Um, it's kind of a commentary on, uh, on being in lockdown um, and, like dreaming of of being out in the world again and like uh dreaming of traveling and stuff um and not being like enclosed in in, in your home 
um, and I, I wrote some of the music for it and recorded it here. Um, and that was a really, really rewarding experience. Oh, that's amazing. You, you should send me those links. I'd, I'd love to see. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll send it to you. And so for the instrumentation, like you mentioned, like a cello line, for example, would you then get someone you know, or probably Kendra? <laughs> yeah. I'm, Let's I'm say you want to write for, you know, Barry Sachs. Are you going to go, are you then going Ooh, to find... Nobody is going to ask me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm an arranger for strings. Okay. Okay. And that's, that's the only reason somebody would come to me is okay. if they want strings. And in pop music, it's pretty common to have like some basic padding just to fill out the texture. Um, with Emmett, uh, the strings are definitely a, like a focal point in a lot of his songs. So I get a lot of liberties. He, he basically just tells me, I, he doesn't give me any details. He's like, send me anything you come up with. And then we'll work from there. So really, he just like lets me do my That's thing. That's great because you have a lot of creative freedom. Yeah, I mean, it ends up sometimes I'll send him like an hour's worth of like recordings, and he'll like take one really weird thing that I did and like make it go backwards and like just like yeah, he'll only use like a tiny bit of it. Um, but for some other things, yeah, I get a lot of of freedom, and that's I'm really grateful for that. That's such a strange process in a way, right? Because you like you create this whole thing and then but you you have you have freedom over how it sounds initially, but you don't have freedom over its application. Yeah. In a way, right? So you're kind of like, I don't know how this is gonna be. I mean, I'm I'm super biased. Like when I record something, I want it to shine in the song. But that's not that's not the function of it. The function of it is to kind of support everything else in the song because it's already pretty much a finished song and he just wants to like fill out some areas um he does feature me in in some ways um but really it's like i it's really very much in the background mm -hmm. um so whenever i play whenever i like mix it like myself there's like a lot of strings but then when he actually releases it it's pretty bare bones, which is totally fine. It's his song. It's completely up to him. And I'm glad he, he keeps coming back to me for, for strings, but mm -hmm. yeah. The album though, like the, the viola is a big focal point. Yeah. The first, his album is going to come out probably in the next couple months, I think. Um, and the first and last thing you hear is just like only viola. Mm. So it's, it'll be kind of like a cinematic feel. Um, I can't wait to to hear what it turns out. Um, I'm very partial to that. I'm very partial to viola. <laughs> <laughs> I think violists, like more than any other creature, they like yeah. they are just so into viola. Yeah, we're just like just Delicious. like beautiful, unique beast. And every time we're featured in any way, it's like oh, viola, the viola soul, <laughs> viola, the viola, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because a for for many years, producers for film music, for for pop music, um, sometimes will just have an orchestra full of violas. Like what? Sometimes they won't use violins at all because the 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 tone will be too harsh and a little bit um, harder to like mix in because it, it'll compete with the vocals. <laughs> 
Is this real? Is what you're telling me correct? Well, you won't get like 80 violas in a room, but oh, you'll, okay. Like, okay. you'll have like, <laughs> like uh, they'll get like two violas to record the same line like four times. And you'll and then you'll have like a higher viola line, a lower viola line. So producers in the like pop industry really do appreciate the viola because it has such a warm tone that like adds a lot of texture to their songs. And the violin can send, kind of like cut through the texture. Yeah, which and isn't the violin what they want. can suck it. Yeah. Yeah. Suck it. <laughs> That's basically to it's summarize what you just piercing. said. Piercing. <laughs> it's piercing. It's piercing. It's just stop. <laughs> yeah, just just stop. You know, like any violinist that's listening, just stop. Okay. <laughs> anyway, but like, yeah, is that a common practice? Like they actually do that with the viola? Yeah. I mean, before Julian started recording me, a lot of the times he would even like play something and then just like bump it up an octave or bump it down an octave. So they can like record it a bunch of times and then just like if yeah. they need the higher register, just bump it up. Yeah, just the range of the viola just is super middle, like middle centric, which is what a, what a lot of pop songs are missing. Just like a nice full mid section. Because like it's always sort of framed as this instrument, it, the imperfect instrument, right? In a sense, like the, the size and the, the like acoustically, it's sort of. It's sort of imperfect, right? But the difference is that that's true, but in like an acoustical setting, uh, like in live performance, like when you're playing a quartet or orchestra, the viola is always going to get lost in the in the mix. But when you're recording solo viola at home, that doesn't matter because you're not competing with violins and cellos and and like you're not trying to produce like sound that will um, float through an entire hall. You're just like, you're right in front of the mic. So it doesn't, it's not really an issue at that point. Right, right. Wow. And so for, let's say you, it's not always solo viola for these string lines. Sometimes you're using cello, sometimes you're using violin. Yeah. Who are, who's playing those instruments? Cello, violin. Okay, so you have you have a whole keep it string in house. Quartet. <laughs> yeah. Keep it in house. You have a whole string quartet in your apartment, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much. Yeah. And Kendi, mm. Bendy, Kendi. It is me. <laughs> you, I, you have some amazing things you do outside of oh. classical music too. I have two in particular in my mind, but you can <laughs> you can focus on any of them if you like. But I think of you as the pole dancing rat queen. Yeah. Basically. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Julian shares my enthusiasm for rats with me. Um, Let's clarify. You're not talking about sewer rats. You're not talking about rats that run around on the street. They have how many pet rats? We have four. We have four yeah. pet rats. That are they them. all live together. They all live together in the same cage. They're all female. They're all ladies. Um, we used to have nine rats was the most we ever had at one time. Um, it's too much. It's too many. It was not intentional. Um, but yeah, they only lived two to three years. So during COVID was kind of a rough time for our pets just because they all reached that two-year-old threshold. And then we had several of them pass away in the span of like four months. So it was really sad. But um, yeah, their, their care is 
pretty straightforward. Like they don't, they're not high maintenance for like the first two years of their life. Uh, but at the end of their life, they, they do get a lot of health problems. Um, so you have to take them to the vet a lot. You have to keep them on meds for months at a time. You have to always like check, you know, all for all possible symptoms because they're really good. They're praying or they're, yeah, they're prey. Um, so they're really good at hiding their symptoms. And their metabolism, like, it, you can kind of just think of it as their life is basically accelerated. So if you develop a cough over two days, like, they can develop a cough over two hours. So it can just be, it can just, things can just happen really fast um, yeah. with them. So just But right of, now, all of our rats are very young, very healthy. Yeah, they're cute. Very playful. Yeah. So did you both have this passion for rats before you no, met? No, I had two rats that I'd gotten um, and on my f- our first date or a second date, Julian met them and then he kind of fell in love with them. And then after we'd been dating for five months, I kind of joked around about getting him rats as a Christmas present. And then he actually said that he would like that. And so I got him rats as a Christmas present. Um, and then he adopted a rat before I even got gave him those rats so he wow yeah yeah I when I stayed with you guys in Montreal I remember you sent me like this heads up message you're like just (laughs) so you know (laughs) we live in like a zoo no you didn't say that but like something along those lines I probably said that yeah we classified ourselves as a zoo for a while so let's just summarize what you had at that time yeah we had five mice uh probably seven rats at that time or eight rats a fish a fish and a cat um so now we have a cat four rats and three mice so it's it's less now but yeah i I remember i i i came like i'm I'm not someone that can really like hide my expressions very well (laughs) and i remember i was just like visibly uncomfortable when they tried to like come up on me and you're like why why do you not like the rats and I'm like their tails their tails are like ooh. I remember you admitted that they're cute but you just didn't want to hold them yeah I was like I like looking at them and that's it (laughs) I remember the first time they like crawled all over me I was like like tickling and shivering and like oh this is super weird but got used to it yeah you want to talk about pole? Yeah, I want to talk about pole because it's so cool. Like I watch your videos and I'm just like, wow, I wish I could do that. Like the strength in your body is so awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It's new. It's new. The strength is new. It's like, very new. She started. I've gained biceps. I didn't used to have them. Um, <laughs> upper body strength was never. I had a really bad injury in my undergrad. I had uh costal vertebral dysfunction which is where one of your ribs comes out of the socket in your back um and then i also struggle with thoracic outlet syndrome which is like compression of nerves and arteries in your shoulder and neck so i've always had issues with my upper body and instead of like trying to build my strength i kind of just avoided working on my upper body but um last january i got i think it was a birthday present or was it a Christmas present anyway my sister's birthday and Christmas are very close but I got her and I a group on to do pole classes because she was expressed it was something she was interested in and I was interested in too so we started going once a week for fun and then when our trial ended we kind of signed up and continued doing once a week and then when COVID hit I really missed it um, 
and she like moved back in with my parents so she wasn't coming downtown anymore uh and i was like i want to buy a pole but they're so expensive and then one of our i think you know kine but mm -hmm. um, she ended up moving uh to the states for a bit and she sold her old pole and i bought it and so now i have that and then i just kind of started working on it on my own you take zoom classes now i do zoom classes for a while in the beginning i wasn't doing any classes and i was just trying to like figure it out from instagram and youtube videos and i was doing it like five times a week for a while and julian would just hear me yelling from the other side of the room and he'd have to come over and like try and get me down from the pole because i was stuck and didn't want to <laughs> smash my head She'd open be on the like ground. upside down like julian stuck <laughs> <laughs> on the pole <laughs> he's like what do you want me to do and i'm like just catch me um, save me but yeah i don't know it's empowering and the classes i go to are very inclusive like every type of person every type of body type any age is pretty much there so it just kind of shows you that it's never like a bad time in your life to just learn something new and, and it's like a balanced they make it a balanced workout for an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you start with like stretches. You do a lot. You have to do a lot of flexibility and able to be able to do some of the tricks. Like I'm working on splits now, um, and you also do like co like co you need a huge amount of core strength, upper body. You're hanging from your legs sometimes. Um, yeah. And something if you do have a pole that you can just do in your living room. Yeah. Our pole is always, it's a permanent fixture in yeah. our apartment now. Like, there's so many different ways to do pole, and I kind of didn't realize that going into my first pole class is like, there's lyrical pole, there's like breakdancing pole, there's like contemporary pole, and then there's like pole with heels or without heels, there's oh, a wow. static pole, like you do static dancing, like the pole's not moving, you're the ones moving around it, and then there's spinning pole where you're static and the pole is spinning. Um, and then there's like floor work and chair work and I don't know, there's just, there's a lot of stuff you can do. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think, I think it has this sort of reputation for being a sexual thing, but it's, it's so much more than that, right? It's like, it got know. its start from sex workers for sure. And um, there's kind of like this movement going around for pole artists of like, you know, whenever you pull, you have to thank a sex worker because you wouldn't to do it without them um but it's also kind of like evolved beyond that and they're trying to get it into the olympics not beyond it but just like it's evolved in general because there's lots of different ways to pull i prefer like aerial tricks and like being up in the air and doing stuff my sister really likes doing like floor work and working with heels um it's both cool i don't know have you noticed uh, any benefits that it's had on your on your body like on your playing on your on your your past injured body yeah i mean i'm definitely stronger um less back issues for sure um but at the same time if i am attempting something new and i don't do it properly i have had days where i like get really sore and just have to like take a day off and lie down. So, yeah. I mean, it's just like any sport you do, you have to stretch properly and don't hurt yourself. That's awesome. Well, I really want to hear about this concert you guys have coming up. It's oh, a yeah. charity function event. Yeah. 
It's run by um, a guitarist and teacher and composer named Bar Mark Battenberg, and he's been doing this like every year for a long time, um, always on the winter solstice. And he usually does it in a church uh, in the East End. And instead of people having to buy tickets, he just asks for donations to the food drive. And so you just like come and you bring food and then you can attend the concert and then leave. So I did it last year um, and I got to play, he wrote a bunch of music for cello and uh, guitar. And so I played his pieces and I also played um, solo stuff and it was really fun. And so we've had this existing relationship since working with him last year, because he does eventually, you know, before COVID hit, he had this plan of like doing a music video and recording some of his pieces for cello and guitar, but of course that got put on hold. Um, but we're doing the concert again this year. Um, and this year we're including Julian because he has all of the recording equipment and also Mark wrote some stuff for trio now. So cello, viola and guitar, which sounds really nice. We were rehearsing it the other day. Um, there's a little snippet on my Instagram. Okay. Um, so yeah, we're just going to record it on the 18th, which is this coming Friday. And then we're going to air it on the 21st. Mm -hmm and it'll be good and where can people view that concert uh definitely gonna be posting it on youtube um might also live stream it via twitch we will record it and then see what's best but it'll definitely be on all of the socials easy to find um, i'm gonna play an excerpt from the uh, Casa de Solo Cello Suite, and Julian's gonna play some Bach, and then there's gonna be um, like Poet. some poems, yep. mm. um, and then Mark's compositions as well. Very diverse program. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this yeah. is cool. Um, where can people find you um, if they wanna contact you for gigs or questions? Where Where's the best place? Yeah, um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I do like weekly cello tips or snippets of recordings or uh, I record covers and it's Kendra's Cello, K-E-N-D-R-A-S Cello. Um, or you can go to my website for uh, any upcoming concerts or if you need a quote and it's just my first name, lastname.com. And I'm also on Instagram um, at Julian, J-U-L-I-E-N underscore M-A-N-N, man. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook um, uh, for any string session needs or performances. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you guys so much. And I hope I get to see you in person sooner rather than later. Yeah, okay. thank you.